Today on Walk in Truth, Pastor Michael's in the book of Mark, chapter 6, verse 30, with a message titled, The Feeder. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Mark 6, the feeder. Mark chapter 6. During several summers in the 1950s, Howard Muma, a Methodist pastor, served as a guest minister at the American Church in Paris. After Sunday service one day, he noticed a man in a dark suit surrounded by admirers. Albert Camus, or Camus, the author, had been coming to church first to hear Marcel Dupour playing the organ and later to hear Muma's sermons. Muma became friends with the existentialist, who by then was famous for his novels, The Plague and The Stranger, and for essays such as The Myth of Sisyphus. The two men met to discuss questions of religion, belief that Camus raised, uh, Muma, now nine, 92 years old, kept the conversations confidential for over 40 years before deciding to share them in one conversation. Camus told Muma, the reason I've been coming to church is because I am seeking. I'm almost on a pilgrimage, seeking something to fill the void that I'm experiencing and no one else knows. Certainly the public and the readers of my novels, while they see the void, are not finding the answers in what they are reading. But deep down, you are right. I am searching for something that the world is not giving me. In a sense, we are all products of a mundane world, a world without spirit. The world in which we live and the lives which we live are decidedly empty. Since I've been coming to church, I've been thinking a great deal about the idea of a transcendent, something that is other than this world. It is something that you do not hear much about today, but I am finding it. Sometimes the most outspoken people in our world, when you get the backstory of who they really are, it might surprise you. Christopher Hitchens, who died in the last couple of years of a brain tumor, was a very outspoken atheist, spoke and debated against God, debated Christian theists and so forth. But there was two sides to Christopher Hitchens. In fact, there's a book out right now called The Faith of Christopher Hitchens, And he describes himself as kind of a two-sided man. His public persona was that he was an outspoken atheist against all things related to Christianity and even the idea of God. But there was another side of him that had many Christian friends. There were pastors who were speaking into his life. And this particular book is written by a pastor who had many conversations with Christopher Hitchens. In fact, he studied the Gospel of John with him. That, that was actually even confessed by Christopher Hitchens before an audience, with, which shocked many of his followers, that he went through the Gospel of John with a Christian pastor. Don't always be uh, fooled by the cover of the book. People who have you know, anger in their lives and you know, maybe they are very outspoken and maybe they are very angry. Sometimes when you peel back the onion a little bit, you find out that there's hurt And maybe something bad happened. And in Hitchens' case, he grew up in a a British boarding school that made God seem to many of these children to be an ogre. And unless you got in line, you were punished. 
And so he shaped many of his views about Christianity and about you know, what he saw in that boarding school, and it shaped the rest of his life. He wasn't good at sports. He was a bit of a misfit. He was bullied on the playground. But he found that his wit and his ability to use language as a debater could shut down just about anybody. And so his whole life track was determined by those early years. We just don't know what's going on with people. We don't always see the motivation behind the anger. Oftentimes when you hear someone express anger about the God of the Bible and how could you believe in the God of the Bible, it's very interesting to think about the fact that they're angry at someone that they say they don't believe in. And somebody made the argument, and I think it's an insightful argument, that you know, there's many things in life that anger me. It could be my lawnmower. It could be other people. It could be uh, freeway traffic. It could be a lot of things. But I've never been angry at a unicorn. Never. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't have a bad day and say, those unicorns! If only they would get it together! And I think you see the point. You know, the anger that's expressed at what people say they believe is a mythical, made-up being, it's quite interesting to think about. And even kind of break down a little bit of the psychology of that. People all over our world are in the same boat. We are all in need of the bread of life. And this story is the story of the feeder, the good shepherd. I'm not sure if we have that slide up there, guys, or not, the sermon slide. But anyway, if we don't have it, that's okay. And uh, let's go ahead and pray one more time. Father, as we come before you now, we thank you that you are the good shepherd. We thank you that your word is alive. In fact, it is food for the soul. We're ready to receive it, Lord, so please just help us to have open ears and open hearts. Your word's already alive, so we don't have to pray that you'd bless it because you've already done that. We just really need to pray that uh, it won't come back void in our lives, that we will receive it, take it deep into our lives, and that it would bear abundant, abiding fruit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I've, I've done many memorial services and funerals over the years, and I've shared this with you before. Many people, when I ask them, you know, what scripture do you want me to share at this service, whether it's graveside or elsewhere, many times people will default to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. And I often open sermons in Psalm 23 and say these words. If you can say the Lord is my shepherd, then you can claim the rest of the promises in that psalm. But if the Lord is not your shepherd, those promises don't belong to you. This particular setting is the good shepherd in action. The idea of a shepherd is a feeder. It is one who supplies for the sheep, but it's more than that. It's one who actually protects the sheep, and the sheep get used to him. They hear his voice. They know him. In fact, if you ever get a chance to read a wonderful book, it's a, it's a, a, a shepherd looks at Psalm 23. Philip Keller is the author. And he, he writes the book from the perspective of an actual shepherd. And he gives insights that are amazing. And one of the insights that he gives is that the sheep are never completely at rest unless they're in the presence of the shepherd. That's when they feel the most calm, when he's prepared the place and, and kind of safely you know, weeded it out and 
kept predators away and so forth. That's when sheep feel uh, the most peaceful. This is going to be a miracle meal. Uh, I think you're all familiar with the text. It's the feeding of the 5,000. And uh, that's plus women and children, and we'll talk about that in a second. This is the only miracle, by the way, besides the resurrection of Jesus Christ that's in all four Gospels, the feeding of the 5,000. And so here's the text. It's found in Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 30. And the apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him, Mark 6, 30, all that they had done and taught. And earlier in the chapter, we saw what they had done. And they had done some incredible things in his name. So they reported the exciting things to Jesus. He had sent them out uh, in pairs, and they went out, and they did wonderful works. They taught. People were being healed, and it was amazing. And they came back with stories to share with their master. I ask you, what's the latest story you've shared with your Christian friends about someone who got saved at your work in your neighborhood? How active are you? Do you have any cool stories lately? Are most of your stories from 15 years ago, 20 years ago, when you were on fire, and now you're doing very little? It's a searching question. It's a question I asked myself this week. As much as I preach and teach and do all these things and call people to the Lord, I still have to be challenged in my own personal life. What am I doing? Do I see myself as an ambassador that leaves the house every day to try to make a difference and tell people about the hope of Jesus Christ? Well, they were excited, and they reported to Jesus, verse 30, all that they had done and taught. And Jesus' response is amazing. He said to them, come away by yourselves, 31, to a lonely place. The New King James has it, a deserted place, and rest for a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. The New Living Translation, verse 31, says, Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. Don't you love the Lord? (laughs) The Lord actually told them, after a full stretch of ministry, where they were probably drained, they were, were, were told in the text they were coming and going, they didn't even have time to eat, and they were starting to realize a little bit of what Jesus was going through. For a while, they had been watching him mobbed by these crowds and people just wanting to touch him and hear his voice and people who were saying, Lord, you know, my daughter's sick or somebody wanted to reach out and just touch the hem of his garment. They were watching this. They were almost like bystanders, but now they got to experience it. Now the power was flowing through them. And this is the point of the Christian life. The Christian life is not just about watching. It's about doing Christianity is not a spectator sport. Christianity, uh, your, your Christian life should not be, the assessment of it should not be, you know, how well you thought things went on a Sunday morning at a particular church. That's not Christianity. Christianity is about you living for your Lord and being used as a vessel of honor for the master. But when you are ministering, you get tired. When you are giving away yourself in whatever capacity you do so, you get drained. It's only natural. Pastors have often described preaching as going up in a rocket ship. And then, you know, you kind of hit up here and then slowly, you go down. Sunday afternoons can be very difficult for pastors because you get used and it's awesome, but then you get drained and you need to learn 
how to recover and rest. And I'm not just saying that. Jesus said it to the apostles. Come away by yourself. Sometimes you need to get alone and just rest a while. You need to recharge. You need to refresh. The word rest is a word we find many times in our Bibles. And it's anapoo in Greek. The word rest means to cease, refresh, relax, chill out. It's actually in a Greek lexicon, chill out. <laughs> Just kidding, it's not. But, but that we get the idea, don't we, that we need some downtime. We need a chance to just get away from it all. And this is what Jesus tells them. Do you want to be able to defend your faith, what you believe in, why you believe it? We've tackled subjects like Jehovah's Witnesses, the origins of Christmas. In honor of the 500th year of the Reformation, we did a two-part message on sola scriptura. Is the Bible alone sufficient? Is it our highest authority? Scientology, intriguing topics that are available on the Walk in Truth store at walkintruth.com. There'll be more to come, more exciting things to come. So the apostles are mentioned here. They reported to Jesus. Uh, I think this is the only place in Mark, by the way, where they are, the 12 is described as apostles. Apostolos is the Greek word. And it's a delegate, a special ambassador. It's a messenger sent forth with orders. And so here's my point, application point, if you're taking notes. Are you on mission? Do you see yourself as an ambassador for Christ, as though God were pleading through you? Did you know that God has you where he has you for a reason? Sometimes we, we think, you know, oh, my life is just mundane. Well, God can redeem anything if you're open to letting him into those areas of your life. People you work with every day. People you have, uh, you, maybe you do some hobbies with certain folks. All of that can be redeemed if you will allow yourself to become that ambassador. And so look at verse 32. They went away in the boat to a lonely place or a quiet place by themselves. So notice the repetition in verses uh, 31 and 32, a lonely place. King James, New King James, a deserted place. Uh, it's technically, the KJV actually translates, translates this as a desert place, and again, in the Gospel of Mark, we find ourselves going back to what's called the wilderness tradition. This has been highlighted in a wonderful commentary by William Lane on the Gospel of Mark. And he makes the point from Mark chapter 1 and onward with the mention of the wilderness four times in Mark chapter 1, verses 4 through 13, is that the wilderness is a, re is a repetition. It's a place where Israel would know it well because much of their history unfolded where? In the wilderness after the, the mighty acts of God, after the Passover, they went out into the wilderness and they, this is called the wilderness wanderings of Israel. And what happened there? Some highlights. Well, God led them out with a mighty hand. They crossed the Red Sea. God with a blast of his nostrils, one of Pastor Michael's favorite images in the Bible. Shabam! You know, open the sea. It's wonderful. It's where I think baseball players get it from. But anyway... So he opens the sea, covers the Egyptian army, leads them out, provides the manna and the water from the rock. And incredibly, his presence is with them. And 1 Corinthians 10 says, write, write this down, verses one through four, that the rock that followed them in the desert was Christ. He was there. 
supplying. The good shepherd was there meeting his people's needs. But we know what happened. For most of that generation, in fact, about scholars believe, historians believe, about two million people left Egypt. You know how many entered into the promised land? Two. Two out of two million. I don't know about you mathematicians who are out there, but those statistics are not terribly impressive. (laughs) Two of that generation entered the promised land, and everybody else was laid low in the desert. Why? Not because they didn't see miracles. Not because they had to say to their friend in the tent, hey, if God would just show up here, maybe I'd believe. Uh Uh-uh. He was there. The glory cloud was there. That was not the issue, folks. The issue was right here. And it's the issue with you and me. We see God do things every single day. Many of them we overlook. And those people were laid low because of unbelief. And in many ways, in the wilderness tradition, Jesus is retracing the steps of fallen Israel. Where they failed, he is going to succeed. He went out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for 40 days. He was fasting, retracing the fallen footsteps of Israel. Why does he go to John to be baptized? He has no reason to be baptized. John's baptism is a baptism of repentance to prepare for the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. He doesn't need to go through a baptism of repentance. Why in the world does he get baptized? Because he associates himself with the people. Because he's showing that he has come to do for them what they failed to do for themselves. He has come to give life. He's come to fulfill the law. He's come to be perfectly obedient to his father and then lay down his life for his friends. This is the beauty of who Jesus is. And the people, verse 33, saw them going. The them points to the apostles and Jesus. And many recognized them. Note that in verse 33. And they ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. That's always a bummer when you're trying to get away. And then you say, people, people. (laughs) You ever get in that mode? Don't people know I'm trying to rest? Have you ever been in your car and you want to change lanes? but you have not put on your blinker, but you think that the person in the other car should know that you would like to move over to their lane. Pray tell, how will they know that? But that's a, is that a guy thing for me? I find myself getting angry about that guy. Does that person know? Sometimes I have to be corrected. Well, if you put on your signal, they might have a clue. Oh yeah, people, just mark that, the people. (laughs) They saw them. The them is interesting because before it used to be that the people were mobbing Jesus and it was all about Jesus. And of course, that is always the focal point. But now it's the them. The apostles have been involved because now that they've done ministry and they've been able to heal people by God's power, now all of a sudden the people are running after them too. Why? Because maybe they could touch me and I get over a sickness. Or maybe I could be healed of some oppression or demonic influence in my life. So the people ran ahead. My understanding of this this trip across the lake is it was about four miles to cross the lake and about eight miles to hoof it on foot. How did the people beat them? I do not know. Unless the wind was contrary to the boat or there was 
some hesitation. But anyway, the people get there first. And the scene is that Jesus said, let's go to that desert place to rest, but you can't rest when the people are there. And when he went ashore, so Jesus arrives, the people are there, 34. He saw a great multitude, perhaps thousands of people. And he felt what? Compassion for them because they were like, would you note it? Sheep without a shepherd. And he, before he does the food miracle, he began to teach them many things. The people beat them there. Maybe the apostles were saying, rats, rats. But Jesus, he looked upon them with compassion. If you allow compassion to drive your life, you will rarely go wrong. Compassion is a word in the Greek language that speaks of it coming from deep within you, even from within your bowels. It speaks of tender mercy or pity. It means to associate yourself with the people upon whom you look at with compassion and say, wow, my heart goes out to that person. That's compassion. Compassion is the reason for evangelism. Compassion is love in action. Compassion is the heart of God. How would you rate yourself on the compassion meter today? There are two allusions, uh, verses being alluded to here in the Old Testament about sheep without a shepherd, and I'm gonna take you to both of them. The first one is found in the book of Numbers 27. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. You want Numbers 27. Now, the first five books are called the books of Moses, the five books of Moses. And these stories about, are about the wilderness wanderings, and this is verse 12 of Numbers 27. Then the Lord said to Moses, go up to this mountain of Abrim and see the land which I have given to the sons of Israel, 2713. And when you have seen it, you too shall be gathered to your people as Aaron your brother was, Numbers 2714. For in the wilderness of Zin, during the strife of the congregation, you rebelled against my command to treat me as holy before their eyes at the water. These are the waters of Meribah, of Kadesh, in the wilderness of Zin. Then Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, May the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation. Okay, Lord, if I'm going to die, they need another leader. They need a shepherd who will go out and come in before them, who will lead them out and bring them in that the congregation of the Lord may not be, would you note it, like sheep which have no shepherd. Now, we've heard this many, many times in the stories of the scripture, but this comes from the wilderness tradition, and it was Moses' concern for the people. God had told him, you're going to die. Get your house in order. You're going to be gathered to your people. And Moses got a chance to look at the promised land, but he did not enter into the promised land. And Moses expressed a concern. Lord, these, gonna, these people are going to be like sheep without a shepherd. Raise somebody up who can step in. And indeed, there would be a man who would be raised up to step in. Notice verse 18. The Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom uh, is the spirit, and lay your hand on him. I, I think the proper pronunciation is Nun there in verse 18. And have him stand before Eleazar, the priest, and before all the congregation, and commission him in their sight. And you shall put some of your authority on him in order that all the congregation of the sons of Israel may obey him. 
Moreover, he shall stand before Eliezer the priest, who shall inquire for him by the judgment of the Urim before the Lord. At this command they shall go out. At his command they shall come in, both he and the sons of Israel with him, even all the congregation. And Moses did just as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua, set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation. Then he laid his hands on him and commissioned him just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Everybody know what the, uh, the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua is? In fact, you've all heard of the Septuagint. It's the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament completed about 250 BC. Whenever you read the Septuagint and you see the name Joshua, Guess what the name is in Greek? Jesus. Jesus is the second Moses. In fact, rabbinic writers were saying at the time of Jesus, they expected the prophet to come, a second Moses. And there's even a rabbi who said, when he comes, one way you will be able to identify the Messiah is he will do a miracle of manna, similar to what Moses, uh, God did through Moses in the desert. Hey, we talk a lot in church about, am I being fed? And I think that's a good idea. I think it's a good thing that you should be looking for in a church, that you would find a place where you are being fed spiritually. But it's not just about being fed. It's also about feeding others. And Jesus is the feeder, as we've heard in this message. But what he's doing in this particular teaching is multi-layered, as he always was working on many levels. You know, he was making a spiritual point bigger than the physical food. He was teaching the, the disciples. And I think he was doing something in terms of just making known that he was the Messiah to this group. And Jesus is always working on multiple levels, even levels that we cannot see. And he is the feeder. You know, Jesus said, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And I pray that as you tune into Walk in Truth Radio, that you are being fed. But I also pray that you are feeding others, that you're giving away what you hear. Now, you might be asking, well, Pastor Michael, how do I do that? What, how do I give it away? Let me just challenge you. Have you thought about, prayed about starting a Bible study at work? Have you thought about, prayed about, or are you doing something in your neighborhood? Is there some way that you could, maybe you're a more seasoned Christian, could you begin to disciple a younger Christian this year? Think about some goals where you can start to feed others. You've been fed now you can feed others. You know, this is how we uh, extend the kingdom of God. And this is really a picture of the, what the Messiah was doing. He was feeding others. And ultimately, I think he even challenged the disciples, you know, you give them something to eat. And they were like, oh, where's the food? We don't know what to do, Lord. Oh, I have plenty of food here. But it's just a matter of giving it away. You know, we have a full Bible, 66 books in the Bible. And there's so much to give away. And I just want to encourage you to be, to be thinking about how you can feed others, you know, starting with your family and extending out to other people. Hey, I want to uh, also point out that you can check out resources and products that will help you in your walk at the Walk in Truth store. That's walkintruth.com. On behalf of Oscar Santa Cruz and Andy Chapel, this is Pastor Michael, and we'll catch you next time on Walk in Truth Radio. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message in its entirety, or if you'd like to visit our church here in Corona, California, visit our website, walkintruth.com.